0: Hi everybody, happy St. Patrick's Day, and welcome to our video slash podcast, and you can download this podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Yes, Spotify. So anyway, um, hi Bob, I'm Graham, hey T- editorials editor, this is
1: Bob Set, editorial writer and columnist.
0: But I figured everyone knows us by now. So um, okay. Bob, I woke up this morning and I got a little worried about the Sand Springs kids. Did you see why they can't read Stephen well, King in their middle school library or elementary that's library. That's crazy. They can't get it. Salem's lot carry the hundred other titles. And I just think that, um, you know, that's a rite of passage to be scared reading a book. Have you ever gotten scared reading a book?
1: Hmm. I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit that, uh, The horror genre is not really my thing. Oh. But, but, when I was at the precious age of 11, which still counts as elementary school, I guess, my dad gave me a copy of The Stand by Stephen King. Still the best novel I've ever read.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a good one. It's awesome.
1: And they have not not been able able to. Not if you're a kid, you're not.
0: It might not be. A kid might not be one to power through that, but but I'll t- well, you know what is scary is your last week's nuclear bomb hitting Tulsa. That's another scary thing to read. You know, yeah, if you no. got that banned, you might you know we might up the readership on that. That's what we should do. Write things that you know get banned. But but it, you know, it was yeah. Well, it was all about librarians explaining the process of how they go about selecting books and the pro- and all this stuff. So apparently, somewhere along the way. Stephen King got a little crossways, but you know, um, if there are any sand springs kids listening and I'm sure they are because we we kill with that crowd. Um, there's this thing called the internet and yes. all the bookstores are online. So if you really want to read Jerusalem's lot, which is a short story, Salem's lost the book. That's how in the weeds I know this guy, this, this writer, um, you can order wow. it.
1: I yeah. got I gotta, I gotta know which is your favorite Salem or your favorite Stephen King book. I,
0: Salem's Lot is still my favorite. It was his first book. And it, it was the one that scared me as a kid. And I, I was a teenager when I read it and I had to sleep with the lights on. It scared me so much and I could not put it down, which if my teenagers found a book, they could not put down fine. I don't care if it's vampires, witches, I don't care. You know, I'd be happy about it, but Um, yeah, but there is, I will save everyone who's a Stephen King fan. I powered through Chapelweight, which is a series on Netflix right now, which is like a prequel to Salem's Lot. Do not watch it. It is awful. It is Adrian Brody. It is for, for a series that has vampires fighting. It's a huge letdown. I, I'm still a little mad. I wasted, you know how you end up watching a series at the end, you're like, that was ten hours. I can't get back. Uh, That's what that is. So,
1: yeah, I I, I feel it. Like I, I wonder, does this ban mean you can't read like Stand by Me or Shawshank Redemption? I like I no Are those out
0: books? I don't know. It said no Stephen King books. You'd think Stand by Me would be okay, but I don't know. It has to do has a murder. People getting kind of weird about books and kids oh. right now. So
1: you you can't have a childhood unless you read about Randall Flagg. And his oh. attempts to destroy mankind. I mean, yeah. sorry. It's Do you like the original?
0: Do you like the original stand or the latest stand? Because I like the Alexander Skarsgård. Uh...
1: Um, I'm okay. Uh, like I said, I'm very okay with the TV and movie adaptations, but they have not been able to make that hit. Mm-hmm. um Also, if you're going to read the stand, you need to read the unabridged version. Mm, How much longer is that? that Uh,
0: That's like like
1: 1100 It's It's beefy, but there's there's some goodies in there. (laughs) It's
0: good. (laughs) But but this does kind of segue into my column this weekend, which is about all the stupid education bills. And we've had a legislative session full of stupid education bills. Um, I described it as whack-a-mole because just when you think one goes away, another bad one pops up and then you're kind of, our attention's there, then the other bad one pops back up, and we've got all these, it's, it's, and i just kind of taking a break, and I'm a public, I'm a parent of public school kids, and I'm like, what, and I start talking to other parents, what do we want? I mean, what is it Mm -hmm. that we're looking for? And universally, we just, we're tired of seeing good teachers leave. We are having a serious shortage, and when teachers get to have 10 or 15 years under their belt, they are, they're feeling disrespected. They're they are not earning the kind of money they could elsewhere. And they either leave the state, leave the profession or they're retiring. They're, you know, they put in their 25 years and even though they're like 55 or something, they're like, you know what, we're done. And we're tired of that. And we are I'm waiting for that legislation that really gets to teacher recruitment retention. We are tired of the culture wars of Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know that have nothing to do with our schools Mm -hmm. um we we'd like to see you know more done to get more counselors in our schools because our kids are really struggling with mental health and also with just career planning and they're separate things right now we don't have mental health counselors our counselors are career planning which is great but we just need more of that so you know I think we all just sort of, you know, and the air is being sucked out of the room with this voucher bill, which does nothing to improve public schools. And we've gone over that, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish people would just sit and talk to, to the PTA parents, you know, go to, to come to our meetings, listen to, to what it is we really want, because I think the bills out there now are like, there was one that you could anonymously give a thousand dollars to a teacher and get a tax credit.
1: Mm-hmm. That doesn't
0: do anything to, you no. to, to help that just, you know, you're treating teachers like a waitress almost, you know, and um, what were, there was some, oh, we'll get into, with an editorial on this one this weekend on the school lunch program, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm always coming at this from what my kids need, but I mean, you, you are, you don't have kids in school, so I'm curious from, from the view of a person, what is it that, that you as a, as a citizen, one, a patron of the community without having kids in public school. I mean, what is it when we talk about public education that you want?
1: This is a very basic thing for me and for anybody that is too young to have kids or they're empty nesters or whatever. The strength of your community and its viability going forward is directly tied to the strength of your public schools. Now I'm gonna reiterate this again One more time, for those in the back, the state constitution mandates that the state of Oklahoma provide free public education to Oklahoma's kids. You cannot succeed in today's world if your public school system is failing. It's just not gonna happen. You're going to have a rough time selling your state for economic development. You're gonna have a hard time keeping people who grew up here staying. And you're going to have a hard time filling people, filling the needs that you have in your workforces if you keep falling behind. And I have not seen much of anything in these, like you said, whack-a-mole list of, of education bills that's going to strengthen the public school system. It's just not there. And one of the points that you made in your column that's coming up this Sunday that I thought was particularly salient is it took something seismic to happen with teacher walkout to get any kind of action from the legislature to Put a band aid on the problem because really that's what we're talking about here.
0: Right. It just, it was just a, a, a step. And we knew at the time that wasn't even going to come close to fixing.
1: Yeah. People. So we're not 48th in pay. We're somewhere in the 30s. Ooh, good right. job. But we're
0: six okay. in per pupil expenditure.
1: Right. Which is,
0: so we improved one metric, but not another big one.
1: But there was a lot of meat on the bone mm-hmm. still, a lot of things to be taken care of with public schools that has just. I mean, where are we at? You know, we're talking three years later, three plus years later, and nothing has been done. Yeah. So I would, we've, we've said this editorially and I've said this in a, another column, you know, a few weeks back. If you want to move your state forward, you got to invest in your state.
0: Yeah. And, and it's true. You know, everyone wants to bring big industry here. But the first thing to do is they look up what, what are the public schools? Because that's where they want their employees to have faith in their, their neighborhood schools. So we've got to, that makes a huge impact. But, you know, education is certainly the the topic of the moment. And the editorial we have this weekend tackles the bill that proposes to take the school lunch program away from the management of schools and put it in the Department of Agriculture. And the argument from Senator Adam Pugh, who proposed this, is that he wanted to, well, the first the first spokesperson said the schools were concentrating too much on, on feeding hungry kids during the pandemic and not educating them, which was really short-sighted because yes, you, we need to feed kids. Um, and a also lot of that to schools. It's you know, also not
1: accurate, but that's another thing. Exactly.
0: But, and then the other thing was they want to get more locally grown food in the schools, which, you know, if you want to ease restriction on schools and put more locally grown food and schools, both great goals, this bill would not achieve either of those. And one, schools are always concerned about hunger in kids. So they also they also know the children, the families, the schedules, the cafeteria infrastructure, schools know what they need. Mm-hmm. The agriculture department does not know the individual schools. But the bigger part about the, the locally grown uh, produce, I got into the weeds on this a few months ago last year because I had the same question. And union public schools, they got to give them credit. They're a leader in this. They've been working in the farm to school for over a decade. And they've got an excellent child nutrition director out there named Lisa Griffin. And she ex- can explain the challenges very well. The biggest challenge is volume. They can't, there's, you know, we have 700,000 kids in Oklahoma schools. And they're getting lunch every day, a breakfast, sometimes a snack. There are also programs for at-risk kids to take home meals. There it's not just school lunch. There's like four or five different types of child nutrition programs. And it took union 13 years of working with area farmers to get the kind of capacity to where now they can have one item on a plate every day in front of kids with that is locally grown. Just because of the volume and the turnaround and the preparation and they have about, I want to say, fifteen thousand students. So when you multiply that out, it's not a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it, and also she made she made the point that they also have a staffing issue, that the cafeteria workers aren't trained chefs and cooks. She said a good number of them can't cook from scratch, so you have a training issue,
1: mm-hmm. there.
0: And then the last one was the infrastructure that cafeterias are more heat and serve and not necessarily industrial kitchens. And so right. there's that issue. And so, I, in the legislative questioning with the senator who proposed this, he was asked, Was this uh, a request by a constituent or an organization? He said, No. It was suggested that maybe we should study this issue to get more information. See, and he said he didn't think that was necessary. I'm like, It is necessary. They need to listen to the Lisa Griffins of the world and the child nutrition directors, because if that's the stated goal, we need to get there. And that's what I mean by these bills that are there's no problem that they're sort of distracting from from what we really need. So, um, but in the background of all this is the Ukraine war, and you this it, it has it's heartbreaking. I see the images. It's it's heartbreaking. Uh, you tackle the energy part of this this weekend, so you bring up about. I think three or four points. So can you kind mm-hmm. of like go over a little bit about what the what those main points are?
1: Sure. So the the overriding thing with this is that we are seeing a complete reordering of two things. One is the basically the geopolitical framework of what we have going on in the world right now, but also two, a reordering of how energy markets are going. So... Because Russia is such a huge supplier of oil and gas, and because some of the largest economies in the world are extremely dependent on oil and gas because they don't, and importing it, they don't have it themselves, the war and the sanctions and boycotts and things like that are throwing everything into turmoil. So I think the the basic takeaways that I got from this was we're going to see. And we've already heard it, you know, a lot of pushing for more domestic oil and gas production and exploration. Uh, I definitely think if you are in the business of liquefied natural gas exporting, this is a good time for you right now. And also made another point there about something, the policy change that happened in 2016 that I thought was some pretty good 3D chess happening back in the day. I was surprised
0: at how the liquefied natural gases jumped quite a bit. Yes. Um I, I wasn't aware of that. And and you know, from from your column that I got out of it was, you know, the idea of green energy has already been happening. That, yes. you know, there's pushback to some that we have to be, it's sort of like the defense of coal. Well, you know, defending coal seems so it's not necessary. I mean, it it's mm-hmm. not that's not where we're going. And no. so some of these green energies, like you brought up wind, and some of these others are already going going on, mm-hmm. and I, I just found I found it interesting. So, well,
1: uh, yeah, I think there's a trend that a lot of people, or or at least some people, were hoping was toward decarbonization mm-hmm. of the world economy. So that doesn't really, you know, bode well for oil and gas producers. But that has been what's been happening, even as production has ramped up in oil and gas. And lately, even coal, uh, you'd be sh- you would be shocked. I didn't get to get the, into this, into the column, but uh, coal production has definitely ramped up, especially in light of what's going on in Ukraine. That said, the infrastructure for coal development is not going anywhere. It's almost as if they know that, you know, this is going to be sort of our last hurrah before things really wind down. Um, but even here in Oklahoma, we're seeing, that trend toward decarbonization occur, you know, which is crazy to think about in an oil and gas state like us, but we have gone from a smidgen of our electricity uh, produced by renewables to 40% in a matter of a decade, mm-hmm. which is astounding. That is a huge bit of development. Right. And you're seeing the state heavily involved spending money in Entering into agreements with companies and with other states to start exploring green technologies, alternative non-carbon fuels, and things like that. Uh, it's happening right now. So well, there's they're a,
0: putting a lot of uh emphasis on electric vehicles. I mean, they're, yep. they're they're spending quite a bit of energy and and tax credits and things to bring electric vehicles. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're talking about if everything goes according to plan and this uh, deal with Canoe, the electric vehicle maker works out, you know, that could end end up being $300 million worth of state investment. You know, right now it's $15 million, but it could go way up. Um, You know, something I didn't put in the column, but is also out there is we're heavily recruiting a company to build electric vehicle batteries here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not like we're shying away from it or even opposing it. Even if you hear some of our congressional delegations saying, Oh, enough of this expensive electric green technology, green New Deal stuff, we need to go back to this type of thing right now. That's what we need to do. But the reality is, is even as we're saying those kinds of things, this is where we're headed.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting column. And for from someone who for people who aren't into necessarily energy policy, it is it is really interesting information. So, you know, going back to the legislature for a moment, there are some good things happening. And right. I wanted to point out that the editorially, our editorial board wanted to, to sort of point those things out. And, you know, in the past week and, and coming up, I and mean, we started seeing some good things with the passage of the Holocaust education. Mm-hmm. That kids, I mean, I went to high school and we never learned about the Holocaust. It was all my knowledge came from the books I checked out the library, which, you know, now our libraries are under siege for allowing us to do that, apparently. But, but I'm glad to see that that's going to be an actual part of the history curriculum that kids are going to walk away having. And, you know, something like that also kind of gets into the idea of teaching about, you know, stereotyping and bigotry and, and maybe understanding what the difference is between par- propaganda, those kind of things. So, you know, that was good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, there were five people that voted against it. I'm not sure where that, that's, you, we don't want kids to know about it. I don't, I don't know what they I don't know what the reasoning is, but, uh, but uh, Melissa Provenzano was able to get the house to pass the diagnostic mammograms, which I think you brought up. You thought that was already covered, which I thought that was interesting.
1: It's, that's, it kind of blows me away that it's not. Yeah. I, I mean. Th- Preventative yeah. healthcare, it's a lot cheaper to do a mammogram on a regular basis than it right. is to cover the expenses involved with stage two, three, four breast cancer. So, right. yeah, well, and that. I looked
0: into that because I thought the same thing. Well, the ACA covers like breast screenings, but then what happens is the screening shows, oh, there's something here. So you need to have a diagnostic mammogram, like something more just to see if it's cancer. Well, they won't cover that. And that ends up costing, uh, it could cost up to like, thousand dollars or 1500 so then just women won't get it and then yeah. you end up with stage three four or five so so good for melissa provenzano for getting that done and uh sheila dills uh, uh representative she was able to finally get some well she she got it passed through her house which are the some charter school reforms these are just those and she got them passed similar ones passed last year the senate wouldn't hear them and these are just uh things that sort of bring bring them up to the even playing field of the traditional public schools, things like how to count attendance, how to um, report their financials. And it comes down on those third party management companies, which is something that came out of the Epic Audit. So she kind of addressed that and good for her and I hope she sticks with it because for years, when she, I mean, she came into office with education and youth as a platform. And when she started trying to address, especially virtual charters, she was like kicked off committees, ignored. Mm -hmm. I mean, the pushback was fierce, but she didn't give up. So good for her. I'm glad she's sticking with it. And um, Governor Stitt has an idea to pump in, I think it's $20 million to, uh, right? to uh, eliminate the, d- the wait list for developmental dis- and intellectual disabilities uh, services. For people who are needing those services for at home or the community-based care, uh, there's, it's 5,000 people on that waiting list now. So his oh. idea is to clean the decks, get money there. The, the hard issue with that is that there's a staffing shortage. So even if someone gets approved, being able to find the nurse or the home health people to come in might be a challenge. So DHS is going to have to work on some rate increases for that. And, you know, we point out that he's not the first governor to deal with this. Mm-hmm. The waiting list got up to, I want to say 7,200 under Mary Fallon. So the legislature's and has going to have to get with the policymakers who deal and the advocates dealing with this to come up with a solution that we aren't just here in another five, 10 years. Or so, but right. good for him for, for addressing this and making it a priority. So, so I mean, what do you, I mean, am I missing anything, Bob? What are some things that?
1: Well, what I would say with, to this is um, it is a hopeful sign, especially the legislature kind of goes into these little series of something or other. I don't know how you disguise it, like phases, I suppose. So right now we're kind of in the crazy phase. Yeah, before they really get down to business and start working on like the budget and the things that affect people the most, um, they get past the other stuff or whatever. This tells me that they're like the Holocaust bill, right? Mm-hmm. You know, strong bipartisan support for that. Now it seems like a no-duh kind of thing here, but we're in a weird time. Mm-hmm. We're in a weird time because of all of this. Uh, this anti-woke thing that's been going on around here i mean you saw how some teachers down in south lake texas were sort of wondering how we're going to teach this do we have to teach both sides of the holocaust you know that became a huge controversy so it's nice to see that you know right raised above that yeah this is something we put in the curriculum you know on top of women's health care right now seems like a lot of ways uh That's been pushed aside. A lot of issues that are important to women sometimes get uh, stigmatized in our current political climate. You know, Mm -hmm. widespread support to get a common sense piece of legislation passed. And, of course, you know, talking about the waiting list and everything like that, want to put some money into that. It just tells me that there is signs of good governance going on. Mm -hmm. There's hope a little bit That's, of hope out there during. Let's the Let's all season
0: encourage there. them when we see people yeah. doing things. Tell them, say, "Yay, good That's vote it. on that bill!" So this is
1: how government should be working: <laughs> yes. find actual problems mm-hmm. and meet them with actual solutions.
0: Yeah, and so I'm I'm, I'm happy with all of those, and I think yes. our whole board was too. So yep. now the real question: Have you done your March Madness bracket?
1: So bad at these. Did you? How do you that. choose?
0: Like, when you have your bracket in front of you, do, do you do? Are you like a serious, like, I'm going to research the the actual talent of these teams?
1: I, you know, it's a long time ago in a galaxy. Well, look at you far, I my far bracket away. In front of me. I actually won an office pool bracket and I was like, well, this is easy. <laughs> and, you know, that was like 20 something years ago. It hadn't happened since. So, um, uh, they're gonna they're gonna stick in schools there. I have never heard of, and I'll have you know, to look you up. You haven't
0: heard of Longwood because Longwood is. I mean, they must. No, they're a, I have not. Longwood's a powerhouse of a twenty six and six season. I have no idea who they are. I'm sure they're a fine school. I have no idea, or, but I who chose they, them.
1: Who they be. <laughs> I, I figured
0: who there's why gonna not? be some
1: upsets. Sure, they I, could I, be
0: Tennessee. Why not?
1: You know, I, I, I got to think there's like an algorithm you can throw into this thing and then just burp that thing out and enter Warren Buffett's annual contest and then become a millionaire.
0: No, So I go with, being a Catholic person, I choose all Catholic schools in the first round. So I don't know anything about St. Peter's, never heard of them, but uh, they're going to beat Kentucky. Okay. Which, which is how I end up with Murray State in like the final four. See, this is not a great... System, I have. I'm not saying I like it though that I'm going to win anything, but I end up doing one with just choose all the, the Catholic schools for the first round, see how that goes. And then I do another bracket where I just choose my favorite color of the teams. Nice. One year I actually did pretty good. I went by the mascots and I thought if the mascots were fighting, which mascot would win? And that was the year, but this is the hard thing because that was the year the TU was in in NCAA, and a golden hurricane. I mean, you think of what a golden hurricane would be. I mean, that's a mm. massive, you know, that's Goliath right there. I mean, how do you beat yep. a hurricane? And then if it's I made of know. gold, you can't beat a golden hurricane. So I had to choose TU that year. I did Maybe not you just win.
1: wait them out. Just wait out a hurricane until it turns into like a tropical depression or something like that. <laughs> Just
0: let it go. So
1: Just let it go. So, it's so hard that's to beat a my bear.
0: suggestion for 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 the listeners and choosing. But uh, it is St. Patrick's Day. I've got on my fancy earrings that I wear once a year. And I even got out my, when I turned 21 at O'Connell's, this is what I drank from. Wow. Maybe a couple of times. Wow. It was the Green Beer Day of 1993.
1: Nice. Yeah,
0: so that was my college, and this I use every day, the O'Connell shot glass, to measure out my f- vanilla flavor for my fancy coffee, because wow. that's how life works. You go from life of the party to a person who's making lattes and planning a uh, bingo night at their kid's high school, so you know, it's my life.
1: That shot glass must about- feel, I don't know, <laughs> your, your, your shot glass must feel very, uh,
0: it's, it's, I don't know. My shot glass is sober now. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Shot glass is sober. So what do you do for Saint Patrick's Day? What are you gonna, how are you gonna celebrate?
1: I celebrate for Saint Patrick's Day. Um, golly, it really needs to be on a weekend because you know I work during the week. I don't know.
0: Yeah, we got um, beef. I've got corned beef going. I'm gonna get my cabbage rolls going. Oh, you're gonna have dental work done.
1: Yeah, that's what right. I get to do.
0: You're, you're, yeah. Oh, well. There used
1: to it's be really when hard. I was in when I was in better shape, I used to do that St. Patrick's Day run. That was fun.
0: That looked fun. It I like to watch fun. the runs now. Watching the runs are fun.
1: I'll tell you, if you're doing it for fun and you're just out there jogging and you're in good enough shape to jog for three miles and you got all your St. Patrick's gear on and whatever, it's a lot of fun. If you're actually out there really Wait. trying to go fast, yeah, that's like pain. <laughs> It's a hard race.
0: I don't, yeah, the half marathoners and the marathoners that you you all do, or you're like running for three or four hours. I'm like, you just, I I can't wrap my head around the idea of running for three hours, much less more, because it would be more for me. Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. I hope everyone has a good weekend. Yeah. And we will be back next week. So Drink, drink, drink
1: water between those green beers. Trust me.
0: That is a lesson from us Gen Xers down to the younger folk. Lots of water.
1: Drink water between those glasses of beer. Do it.
0: And for everyone else, write us a letter, submit op-eds. We are open for um, hearing from various voices. So we appreciate it and see you next week.
1: Peace.